Okay, so, so so this week you've already added this to this document needs so much help, but but you've added that we're fine. I now have permission to do a pop quiz on you, and I'm going to ask you questions this mm-hmm. week. The only state, the only stipulation. Okay. Oh, for the the entire duration of this extra uh, of this episode that does have extra members only content, so it'll be a long episode. The entire duration of this episode, you are not allowed to say the word hotshot. Okay. I don't think I know the reference. Well, then it should be easy for you. Oh, 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 you're doing, I know what you're doing. You're doing, uh, you can't land on a fraction. You're doing, uh, what's his name? Dennis Miller? What's the name of that actor? Dennis Gephardt's my friend. You're talking about the guy who says, you're talking about the guy who says pop quiz hotshot. You've already failed. That was so fast. I thought you would last longer. (laughs) When that doesn't count. That's what she said. I'd have a, I'd had a lovely bit of halibut, and all I said was this was good enough for Jehovah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Reconcilable Differences. This is episode 210 of John Syracuse's program, where he talks about his feelings. And uh, and we're, we're all here, I think. John's here, and uh, we're going to do a program uh, for you this week. How, how you doing? How you doing, John? You doing good? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I'm still trying to remember a scene I saw on a television show where someone made a reference to the kind of fish that you made that halibut thing. Try me. Was it the the series finale succession where somebody said, I feel like I'm eating the same. It was, it was, it was was a vampire Lucas Madison, uh, true blood dude was like, I feel like I'm eating the same. Oh, um, right. It was really funny. Um, yeah, I do remember the the same overcooked piece of whatever fish, no matter what they call it on the menu. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a quizzling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sorry for that diversion. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, we have, no, I can't uh, remember the kind of fish that it was supposed to be. It's okay. We'll, we'll find it f- for notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. No, see, no, that's another won't. thing. I'm, I'm no, going to stop won't. saying that. I'm going to stop saying that. Um, no, you, <laughs> you couldn't even not say hot shot for, but I wasn't fun. saying hot shot in the context of, the, uh, the no, po- you, you said it. Now you're just saying it again. No, now I'm, it's going to be I'm the most commonly used it. word in this episode. No, 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 no. You, you, you're, I'm, I'm talking about the moon. You're staring at my finger. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't. Huh. I don't know that one. We have uh, two, two uh, bits of uh, exciting uh, programming notes. One programming note is that this is one of those uh, very special weeks where we have a little bit of extra stuff for our members. You can become a member of Reconcilable Differences by going to relay.fm slash rd slash join. And did we agree that we're... We're mainly tossing out what we think we'll talk about because we have a very, if I may say, undistinguished record of discussing what we said we were going to discuss. Yeah, I think show. we're over 50%, but yeah, it's it's spotty. Now, see, if that were in baseball. That'd be great, yeah. Yeah, you're exactly. like, we'd be like the, the Ted Williams of mm-hmm. uh, context. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we think we're going to talk about summer plans. You know, there's vacation results. There's holiday right. results. We haven't, yeah, we haven't. We don't have those, at least not for me anyway. Yeah, but we have we have summer projects and summer plans. Yes, this is this is the mice. This is the mice and men portion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's what we're going to do. We have another exciting programming note. John, tell people about about a thing that our our beloved um, all relay members can go and listen to. What, what yeah. is it? So once a year, there's what is it like member drive week, member month? I don't know. There's it's catchy, a, there's, yeah, yeah. There's an annual thing that Relay does uh, to give extra stuff to people who are Relay members. Uh, and what we usually do during that period of time is record a special episode just for members, usually including a fun guest. Um, although that's not strictly a requirement. So I think we next did that time, recently. next time we'll probably do something on our own. But this was this is this felt very organic to me. 
Yeah. So we, uh, me, Merlin, and John Roderick recorded an episode where we discussed the 19, help me out with the date here. 2003. Okay. The 2003 movie, Master and Commander, colon, the far side of the world. The world. Thank you. Uh, a movie you we lot, had when you go around the horn, before. John, you get a lot of weather. It's hard to get yeah. the weather gauge. Yes, we we uh, we had all seen the movie before, but it had been in the air and been discussed amongst us. So we decided to watch it one more time and talk about it on a podcast. And so we did that. That is our member special episode. Now you may be wondering, how do I listen to that episode? Hey, John, how do people listen to it? What do they do? It's the same way that you listen to any of the member special episodes. And if you are really a relay member, you can listen to member special episodes from any show on the network but of course you just want to listen to ours and all of our previous episodes yeah, and all of our previous episodes that, that's um, a, that's a lot of as you say john content yes there's a lot of special episodes going back many years so the way you do that is <laughs> you go to relay.fm the website and there's a membership uh, link in the the nav bar that will take you to relay.fm slash membership then you click on the access members only podcasts link in the sidebar mm-hmm. because you want to access your members only podcast. They don't show up anyplace else. You have to go to this access members only podcast thing that I just described. And then you'll see a list of all the members only podcasts that you're able to get. One of them is going to say Relay FM crossover. I know you're looking for something that says reconcilable differences, but again, mm-hmm. this is the crossover feed for all of the Relay shows that do member special episodes. You want to look for Relay FM crossover. Click the subscribe button next to that, and then a thing will fold down, giving you umpteen different ways to subscribe. You can Mm -hmm. copy the URL, subscribe in Apple Podcasts, subscribe in Overcast, so on and so forth. So once again, that's go to membership, click access members only podcasts, once you've logged in as your member account or whatever, then uh, look for Relay FM crossover and click subscribe. I know it's a complicated process, but once you subscribe to the crossover feed, just leave yep. it in your podcast thing. And every year when there's member special episodes, they will appear in the crossover. And I think there's occasional, I mean, I my podcast listening has kind of just gone down for a variety of reasons. But I believe that also when there's other kinds of like special stuff, it can, can and will pop up in there. So mm-hmm. you never know. Yeah. Just keep that it, door open. It's filled with all sorts of good stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm uh relay.fm slash rd slash join and uh a, my personal big thank you to everybody who's already joined uh i see you and i thank you uh it means a lot to me and even if you don't have any interest in the movie master and commander or have never heard it or whatever i have to say that we did a middling job of staying on topic which i think made but the it stuff a that wasn't on topic episode. was pretty fun I know it was. It was. It was kind of like a combination of we would talk about the movie for a little bit, and then we would inevitably drive off on a tangent, as we tend to do when the three of us uh, end up talking. Uh, but we brought it back in, and, and you these, know, so those we, two, we do those two together is, if I may say, so much fun. Uh, these two people who are really important to my life and I guess my work. Uh, it, it's so fun to have those forces in the room, and it becomes apparent. No spoilers, but it becomes apparent pretty early on, where you just lay it down to Roderick, and you're like, "I've heard every episode of Roderick on the Line." And you don't listen to podcasts, yeah. so you are at a slight disadvantage here. Yeah. That's why I can talk about him uh, now. I know he won't hear it. Did yeah. you? Do you notice that? I mean, I've, I've, we've done two episodes now with uh, John Roderick. One really, really early on, and then of course this most recent one. And especially this time, I noticed that when John is on like our podcast, when it's not his show, like he's a guest somewhere else, especially when he's a guest with us. He acts way different than when he when just the two of you were doing Roderick on the line. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like much more tentative and it's kind a, of like it's a different persona. Polite. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it's and he's, it's he's, kind he's of very weird. yeah. He, he's a lot of fun. You, you know, you forget that he's actually a, a pretty smart guy. I mean, as, as guys go. Well, I mean, I just I don't know if that's a that's a uh, no no. You know, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about in terms of tone, tone and attitude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it takes a, it takes a while to get him comfortable enough for him to start getting feisty. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not going to immediately start dancing on the furniture. Yeah, which is weird because if you listen to years and years of Roderick Ron Lyon, you think, oh, this guy's like that all the time. But this is his more like, I'm not quite sure what the deal yeah. is here yet. With and, and and you know, it's not like he's not familiar with you. He does that other podcast with you for what 15 years, whatever the hell it's been. <laughs> it's like it's that that's not it. And me, yeah. it, granted, he doesn't really know me, but he has been on podcasts with me before. So I anyway. can never tell. I honestly, there's no way that it's a hundred percent a bit. But because I'll find out all of a sudden. Oh, actually, he's been watching. He keeps mentioning like Peaky Blinders. He's well, seen... he doesn't really claim to not watch TV shows, but he does. Well, it's part of the bit, I think. But it's anyway, uh, it's a lot of fun. Check it out. Thank you to everybody for supporting. Uh, what, well, you know, for, for, for liking what we do, hopefully. Um, but also, you know, for supporting everybody on the network. Uh, it's, it's a good group of people. And uh, I like them a lot as again, as people go. Yeah. And on that member special, he does eventually get feisty. So don't worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad we can't post all the photos we sent each other. You playing what I seem to recall was probably a D chord, maybe on an acoustic guitar, looking very handsome. Mm-hmm. That is a D chord. What was I watching? I was watching. Oh, we watched um, the Times of Harvey Milk, the wonderful eight, 1985 bio, or you know biopic uh, mm-hmm. last night. Not to, not to be confused with the other one, which was just called Milk. Just called Milk, which which will come up in recommendations on HBO right after it. But mm-hmm. and they're both really good. But it's it's a it's a hell of a story, and um, it's just it's crazy to think about what happened in November of 1978. Like it was a it's pretty crazy. But there, Harvey Milk was out there, and he was he was talking, and we we talked. He does that thing where like he's adding a slight. I can't do the voice, but he's from Long Island. And he's doing like a, the, the slight adding of like a consonant to the end of words that end with a vowel. You know what I'm talking about? There's that, there's like a Long Island thing or like a New York thing. You're going to have to give me an example word. I'll think about it. But I was just like, man, whenever John talks about Long Island and you talk about stuff like there's a lot of Jewish people that live there and there's a lot, a lot of Catholic people who live there and there's this weird kind of overlap. Isn't that fair to say that like, People kind of I don't want to say look the same, but there's a certain kind of look. I was watching the song uh, "Maps" by the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and their drummer absolutely looks like a drummer from New York, which is exactly what he is. And Harvey Milk looks like a guy from New York, and it just made me happy because whenever you send me photos, so I showed Madeline the photo of you when you're a little boy today, and it's like you see this, the everybody in his family <laughs> looks like this. Everybody. I mean, I'm not not saying in terms of like good looks, bad looks, old, young male female whatever but look everybody looks like you that's just the whole the whole long literally the long island looks like <laughs> well it, you know it's it's, it's not a long everybody is the, because there's the italians but there's also the irish so oh. and the irish don't look like the italians they all they all have orange glasses and a leather vest a lot of sunburn mm. <laughs> Um, I will start watching out for uh, New York Easter eggs, but I guess we, we get on to the special project. Oh, you know, I hmm, hmm, I shouldn't even say this. You guys said something. This is, you know, we shouldn't do this. For a, an episode of ATP that has not yet been released mm-hmm. and that will be nine days old when this well, comes out. Well, I mean, out, it's, been released, it's been released to ATP members. You guys, um, so Marco started that thing a while back. Can I, can I do this briefly and just get your thoughts? Can I just bitch a little mm-hmm. bit? Go Not about it. you guys, but okay, it'll be pretty quick. 
Um, so some some years ago, this is so clever. I guess Marco introduced a bit called exit interviews. Mm-hmm. So when you're getting ready to learn about a new version of hardware, you do an exit interview to talk about how do we feel about the you know iPhone. 12. Yeah, the, out, the outgoing iPhone. Yeah, and he, he introduced a new thing this year that I loved, which is exit interviews for the current OSs. Mm-hmm. For iOS, iPad OS, briefly watch OS, and then Mac OS. And I, with, you know, again, with the point of view that each of you has, a few things are shared, several things are different. Uh, Casey doesn't really care about, you know, Mac Pro. But 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 I really I really enjoyed it, and I, I of course I especially liked the Mac OS part because you let your witch out a little bit, and you talked about some stuff like that insane. How can you briefly describe that notifications button thing that drives everybody crazy now? Yeah, notifications on the on the Mac appear as like these little uh, gray uh, rectangular windows in the upper right corner of your screen, and a couple of years back they changed them slightly so that when they appear they don't appear to have any kind of buttons on them at all before they used to have little buttons in the right hand side but now they don't appear to have any buttons at all and the idea is when you bring your mouse pointer over to them and your mouse pointer hits the little rectangle buttons appear that you can click on to dismiss the notification to snooze it or whatever but it it went what's the word not disclosed it what doesn't um they doesn't, don't appear they yeah, don't appear until you hover over them well let me ask you this short of adding a custom keyboard command because this is a bridge to my thing Short of adding a custom, is there a is there a keyboard command for dismiss this notification? Is there a keyboard? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't have the input focus. Like that's the whole thing. It's a notification that appears. Well, first of all, I'm constantly doing it because I think I'm scrolling correctly, but I've learned to keep my fingers a certain distance apart. Otherwise, I end up pulling up stonks and like all that stuff in the right. I see all the oh, notifications. Touchpad touch on a laptop. Um, or like yeah, like the magic touch thing oh, here the on magic. my desk. Yeah, uh. but. Yeah. But like, that's just, okay, that's, that's an example of like. But no, I didn't, I didn't explain. The, the, the thing is that that doesn't work. Like when you bring your cursor over to it, you'll see a button appear. And then when you go, oh, I'm going to go click on that. And you'll reach for that button. It will disappear out from under your cursor. And that's that's the thing. Was, right? <laughs> you have to trick it. You have to sneak up on it. Right, exactly. You have to sneak up on it. Because if you, it's like it's like a game. It's like, oh, there's the button. Uh, now I'm going to reach for it. Oh, no, it disappeared yeah. again. I'll yeah. back off. Oh, there's the button again. Oh, no, I reach for it and it's gone. And it's been like that for years, and it's incredibly embarrassing and very frustrating. Yeah, alongside stuff like your your window bug. Well, I I just wanted to jump in because I was I was listening to your program, and um, one thing that's orthogonal, adjacent to what you're talking about, but still very much one of those "Are you kidding me?" Mac things. Uh, I'm going to avoid all the rejoinders and just say it. I think it's insane how. Well, I'll just say how the share button works right now in Safari. I think the way that that works is completely bananas. And I don't know if I want to go so far as to say it's embarrassing, but I will say like what may seem to most folks like a pretty simple way of like trying to tidy up the UI has creamed (laughs) this, this, this entire like amazing ability to do stuff that is now under the quote unquote share menu. And if I could just continue for a second. So what I'm really talking about here is when you, if you're in Safari and then you click on that little arrow in a box, whatever it's called, the share button. So I, I, I see a row. I think it's called row. the Shero. <laughs> Her name is Sharon. I, I see stuff like the, some recent people that I could send this to. I get stuff like add to reading list and bookmark, you know, and then I get all the stuff like add to deliveries, Fantastical, Net, Net Newswire, et cetera. That's cool. That's real cool. And then I can edit extensions. But here's the thing. That is a mystery meat piece 
of interface. And by that, I mean, like, I, I think the way that it worked before, and forgive me, I'm not an engineer, but the way that it worked before is whatever was under the quote unquote share arrow, and it, it's a separate but related issue that there's a lot of things that are under share these days that have nothing to do with sharing, but that's okay, whatever, that's where they go. To do stuff with the thing you're on, you know, if you, whether you're on um, iOS, iPad OS, or even on the Mac, you, you're going to use this arrow. Now, time was every one of the selections under there was the, an, how do I put this, an addressable piece of UI. So it would respond to stuff like arrow up and down, as memory serves. Most importantly for me, this is what it all comes down to, there's no longer any way I know of, and I, I, know, I know about macros, I used to be a quick keys user, I have all of those apps, it drives me crazy that I can't get a key command, for example, to send to notes. Or send to notes and send to reminders are two that I have used for years I created my own custom keyboard command for. Why would you care? Well, if you care about sending, if you're looking at something, you want to do something with it, well, that's the whole point. You know, we got the internet and stuff. We can send things to people. And it used to be that I had a, a keyboard command for add this to notes because if y'all don't know, it makes a really cool little card in notes. So if it's Christmas time and we see a good gift for mom, I add that to the note. Adding stuff to reminders, hugely useful. The way it is now, I don't know enough to even describe how broken this feels to me. But when I click on the arrow, my only option really is to select one of the things on the list, which might be fine for over 90% of people. But what you can't see in this is it's not, you can't, I don't even know if you can tab through it. Yeah, you can tab through it, but you can't arrow through it. I have accessibility turned on, the, the thing for you know going through all the fields. So I don't know whether it's that. But the, the, the thing that just kills me is I still don't know of a way short of a macro of being able to make anything under share have a, a key command associated with it, I think. I, do, do you f at all feel me on what I'm trying to describe here with I what's I think uh, with respect to what we talked about in ATP, your complaint falls under the category of the sentiment 1.0, uh, the 1 that whenever <laughs> Apple touches some part of macOS, we all fear that they're just going to make it worse in some way with no benefit. And this is one of those scenarios. Like they changed the yeah, share it looks, menu it looks thing. Yeah, like, it looks like you're on iOS. Success. Yeah, they, they, they changed it recently for, I mean... Maybe for UI consistency, although it's not really exactly like it is on iOS. How can it be? Because it's on a Mac and it's like it's a little bit different. But anyway, they changed it. And during the course of changing it, there was, as far as I can tell, for people like me who don't really care about the share menu, no benefit to me and a detriment to you who was using a feature that previously existed that now doesn't. And that's that's the, right. the, the feeling we feel about macOS is like if they come in and like, hey, we've decided we're going to redesign whatever and we're like oh no that the feeling we get is dread and not like delight like oh it's going to be much cooler and better we're like no it's however bad it is now it's going to be worse the, the perspective vr uh goggle thing where it's like yeah, i think you laid out very well like look i don't need this to i mean one thing i've really picked up from you over time is like there's a reason you buy oxo you and i both buy oxo products there's a reason you have the kind of keyboard and mouse that you have there's a lot of reasons in life to to want to be able to manipulate this stuff in a way that makes sense to you. And like I say, I've got a lot of stuff turned on for accessibility, but the thing is, that's not the only place that that happens. Any other, and I'm not even talking about full on people like Gruber like to call this, you know, Mac assed Mac apps. I mean, like, you know, even MimeStream, which I upgraded to, uh, is a really good app. I like the, my favorite thing in MimeStream is the ability to have a, a, like a GUI for doing filters. It's so easy to make your own filter. It's so much easier than doing it 
actually on the website. I love stuff like that. But what do you love about a Mac app? Same thing. Why do we love menus, John? Why have I loved the idea of pull-down menus since 1987? It's because, look, I can go to the menu and go here and I can select under edit and go to copy. Or I can hit command C on the keyboard. Or in my case, I can do the, what's it called, a right click to get it from a, you know, drop down menu. You can also type while the menu is down to jump to items in the menu. I mean, there's been stuff for a while. I remember having a Firefox extension. The first time I had a Firefox extension, let me hit a key and start typing to find on the page without having to even command F. Mm -hmm. And all that stuff is admittedly above the interest of a lot of people, but I, I'm one of those people that likes that to work. And you when it used up, to work and they change it and then it doesn't work, it's a downgrade. Yes, ex exactly. But like, here, here's the other thing though, and I, I'm not trying to turn this into a total bitch session, but I'm saying it's not alone. Most apps on a Mac, if you've turned on the stuff, and I forget what does what, but I'm really big on tabbing. Obviously, you can tab through fields on a form, right? That's really handy. And eventually you become like your own quick key title where you know it's like click, 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 type the thing. Click, click, type the thing. You can even make, I've played with this, but haven't yet done it. There's a way to do that with Keyboard Maestro where it'll know things like, you know, tokens and which fields to fill in. I haven't gone that far, but, but that tabbing is huge. I tab through interfaces all the time. So when I get a save menu, because I've got the accessibility stuff flipped on, I know I can see all the buttons light up as I tab through them. Tab, 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 tab. And you can go all the way around the horn. Tab, 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 tab. And that works great. And then you do stuff with it. You know, on a Mac, most of the time, I mean, the finder's a little unusual, depends on your setting, but if you like select something and hit return, a lot of times it'll open it like in an app. If you tab to a button, tap, 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 and then hit turn, that'll click that button. And that is, I, th I assume that's part of some APIs. It's standard in pretty much any app where you decide to flip it on. Guess another, here's another Mac app that won't do any of that. It's called Home, and it is meant well, to be- I don't know if I would call that a Mac app. <laughs> you could hear my air quotes floating. Mm -hmm. But right, I mean, anytime I have to do, I mean, before we even get into what a hassle it is to make your, fix your scene that broke for some reason, like suddenly the light color on this one light changed whenever I run this scene. Sometimes turning it off and turning it back on works, literally. Like run the lights off script, run a different scene, run a different scene, and then run the scene you want. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But you know, one thing you can't do, you can't tab, tab, tab. I don't think you can tab, tab, tab through home. What I know for sure is there are actually some things where I'd rather do it on an iPad than the Mac with home because it's, it's, it's heinous. It's an electron app, which is not a terrible thing, but like it doesn't act anything like a Mac app. And it's another one of those instances of like, well, like you used to say, put some wood behind the arrow. If this stuff is important to you, if Apple TV is important to you, you guys, if Siri is important to you guys, if being the secure hub for your smart home is important to you, you got to step it up on this stuff. You know? I hear a fun story related to speaking of uh, hitting return. Hmm. Um, this is a thing I had to do three times before I finally learned it. And now since I'm retelling this story, I'll surely know it from now on. Three times albatross. I had to do this in, in my Mac application. I'm using, you know, using AppKit, the, you know, the Cocoa framework, so I ever tried my Mac application. And I find myself having to make some kind of dialogue or thing that has like a, like an OK button, right? And yeah. a cancel button, right? And you want the OK button to be the default one, right? And, and, the, and if you're on the OK, just so you all know, I mean, as far as I know, if you, if you tap, tap, tab or manipulate or arrow, arrow, however you get to that default, the used to be the one that had the big bold line around it. Mm -hmm. You can hit enter, you can re hit return, or you can hit space bar. 
and there may be even others. Escape, yeah, but even usually, if you don't have accessibility turned on, even if you don't have like, like, a, the focus like Escape, ring, I mean, you don't have to be like a VI fan to know that, like, God, escape learn, is, learn Escape. Escape is so good in so many situations. It's critical in stuff like NV Alt, where like I've typed something and now I want to get out of finding mode and go into clicking mode. Just hit Escape. And Escape, like, I don't know what the exact word for it is, but it takes you out of what you're doing or it dismisses what's up. Most websites with a JavaScript pop up will dismiss that window if you hit escape, if, it's, if they're any good. <laughs> None yeah. of that works in home. When you're done with your scene, if you hit escape, I don't think it even makes a noise. Yeah, because phones don't have keyboards like that. Uh, so the yeah. thing I had to learn is I'm making I'm making this dialogue and I know how it's supposed to look. I know how it's supposed to work. Right. So I drag the little button out and put a little button type cancel. OK, there's my cancel button. And I drag a little button out and I'm like, this is going to be my OK button. But of course, the OK button, you mentioned like the big thick outline. Right. It looks different. It doesn't look like that anymore. But the, the OK button, the default button in the dialogue, whether it's save, OK, you know, whatever the default is, whatever happens when you return that button in modern Mac OS is like filled in with whatever the highlight color is like blue if you have it set to be your highlight color right yeah and so i drag it out in like interface builder or whatever they call interface builders building the xcode now yeah and i put the okay button there i type oh, capital capital k i'm like okay now where is the little checkbox that i have to check that says oh and this is supposed to be the default button there's a million checkboxes every button has a thousand properties there's a big inspector on the side it tells uh, you again stuff that's been really easy to do when you're making a website for a long time Right. And and I had, three times I had I was faced with this problem and I figured it out eventually all three times, but didn't remember it the second and third time. Right now I'll remember <laughs> it. Fourth. That's the story of my life. That's that's where the tag outboard brain comes in handy. Because yeah. there's no checkbox that says make this the default button. I'm like, how can there not be that checkbox? That's literally like the, the second thing I would ever want to do with the button is make it the default button. Like even just appearance wise, like, is there a style menu? Is there like an appearance, a theme, a role menu? Is there a checkbox is default? I would expect that hitting the, whatever the equivalent of an inspector is for that, like in Affinity Designer, like where a palette would come up. I would expect that to be very near. I mean, something that would be very easy to get to and it would be very obvious once you've gotten there. I mean, it would be like building a car without an ignition. Yeah, key. there's a million properties. None of them are that. I'm like, this. how can this be? Is there a different the button? documentation? <laughs> yeah. Did I drag the wrong button out? Like, is mm -hmm. that? Is there another button? Because it's like a little palette of like, oh, here's a radio oh, like button. Maybe, maybe you screwed right. up and did like an, the equivalent of like an ad hoc, uh, a one-off ad hoc button instead of like an official. Yeah. Is this like a custom? Uh, but I'm like, no, this is just like the default regular button. Why can't I just make it be blue? So when I hit return and, and like, and then eventually after I bang my head against this for like, what seems like a really long time, but it's probably only by the third time, like 30 seconds, I remember what it is. Hmm. Uh, here's how you make a button the default in Interface Builder or in Xcode or whatever. Mm -hmm. You go to the field that says keyboard shortcut and you put the, you know, put the <laughs> input focus on that field and you hit return. That's so misleading. That is so misleading. By making, that's what I'm, uh, I'm telling you the story to emphasize how, how important it is to Apple and the people who designed this, that the fact that you hit return hits the default button. The only way to make the button default is to make the keyboard shortcut return and then it automatically right. turns I'm the button blue. of that phrase, make the right thing the easy thing. And in your case, that is a, a, I mean, I don't know. I don't have the tog in front of me, but from a Higgs standpoint, at least in my bones and muscles, that is that is something that every app should do. That and that's an interesting way to enforce that because if you literally can't make the button look like that without return activating it, that pretty much ensures that anybody who makes an app with AppKit that wants a button to look like the that kind of button that you can hit return to activate it. You know what I mean? That I I I do. It just seems like a very strange 
Yeah, it's, it made it some weird decision that some programmer made probably 30 years ago that just lives <laughs> on and that everybody who actually, you know, does Mac apps for a living knows about this. And it's, you know, they're laughing through this whole thing because like <laughs> so, it's just somewhere, somewhere in there is a, a panel for doing something with web objects. <laughs> right, exactly. But but I had to I had to do it three do, do go through that same process right, right, three right. times before I actually learned it. That's not a great sign. So anyway, just to say great episode. Um this will not be relevant, I imagine, when this episode comes out. But that's my wish, guys. I wish Apple would make the everything under the share arrow at the very least. I don't. I'm not a programmer. Just make it so I can have keyboard commands again. That mystery meat area is is so frustrating to me. That's all I wanted to say. Good episode, though. Yeah, and also also the bit with the bit with Casey. I won't spoil it, but the, listen for the you know after the music where you guys still talk about your twitters that you don't mm-hmm. use after that. Um, then, then Casey has a very funny anecdote that I'm, that's very Casey. Mm, it sure is. ATP.FM. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and for growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website. You can engage with your audience and sell anything, whether that's your products, your services, even the stuff that you create. Whatever it is you want to do, Squarespace has got you covered. You can do so much with Squarespace. Uh, You can blog. That's right. It's a verb, you guys. Please blog. And they got powerful blogging tools. You can share your stories, uh, photos, videos, and updates, and you'll be able to categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. You can, uh, of course, sell your products in an online store. They just give that to you, you know. Uh, You can sell physical or digital products. How cool is that? Squarespace has the tools that you need to start selling online. And uh, they have SEO tools, you know, because if you're out there and you can't be found, that's no good, right? Uh, You can use their suite of integrated uh, features, and they have useful guides that can help you maximize prominence among search results. Um, You know, uh... I've been with Squarespace forever. I, I don't know what else to say to you people. They're still buying these ads, which means there are still, there's some addressable market out there of people who aren't yet on Squarespace. You need to do this or you need to find the people in your life who need this because believe me, there are people who need this. I have turned on so many people to Squarespace over the years, mainly because I'm lazy and don't want to become a webmaster again because, you know, but if I'm being honest, you know, really, um, that's also where the Roderick on the Line podcast lives over at uh, Squarespace. They've been, they've been great to me and they're going to be great to you. So please do me a favor right now. You go right now. You go to uh, squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-A-F-F-S. It's going to get you a free trial. No credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use that offer code diffs, D-I-F-F-S. That's going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Say it thrice and it's almost like praying squarespace.com slash diffs offer code diffs for 10% off your first purchase. But I bet I bet you heard it the first time because you're careful listeners. Uh, show your support for John Syracuse. He's, you know, he's, all the times are tough for him now. But, you know, help the guy out. I mean, just look at the state of his house. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Uh, Pop quiz? Pop quiz. I object. I'm glad you're doing this, but I object. I have an objection in in my opening statement, which is the whole point of the pop quiz. You're not supposed to know it's coming. Well, you that if, that's on you. You told me about this like it's on, three episodes that. ago. So. That's true. I did. I did. But I don't know what the questions are, so it's kind you know of poppy. I mean? That's why it's a quiz. All right. Well, you know, it's like it's a pop quiz. It's it's a pop quiz. Yeah. I didn't say it. 
these are really quickly put together and are actually, okay, just, and just so the audience knows, these are not reflective of the kind of things in my personal Fantasia. Hmm. The, the things that I want to ask John as, as pop quiz questions, which are usually things that occurred to me during the week. I'm doing something really lame here, which is more like, just so you know, this won't be a good segment because I'm mostly doing like questions I've always wanted to ask you, like if I interviewed you. And so, like, this is the, it'll usually be better and weirder. Than this. Well, uh, if I can divert you from our topic just once more, and this is also your fault because you sent me this earlier today. Please. I actually listened to that, uh, the Desert Island Records uh, podcast. Yeah, Desert that you Island me, Discs like, with, with Bono. De- Desert Island Discs, right? It's a BBC Radio 4 thing. Been around forever, you, forever. If you're on a, if you're on a Desert Island, like, what music would you bring with you or whatever? And I never listened to that show before in my recollection, but I listened oh, to this episode Oh, it's so good. Oh my God, it goes, it goes way, it's really hard. You gotta, you gotta go to other places to find the real archive, which I could help you with, but oh my God, it goes back so far and it's, it's so neat to hear like different actors and, uh, and directors and just people you admire talk about like the, the records they love. Oh, so I've only listened to two episodes. I listened to this one and then I listened to the David Sedaris one. And in both of them, uh, although I, I guess in both of them in different ways, the format Oh, this show is so weird. You're like, oh, I'm going to have a celebrity on. I'm going to ask them, like, tell me about, you know, which records you want to bring on Desert Island. And it gives these celebrities a chance to talk about their favorite music. You know, mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense if you're a musician. But either way, it's a fun, like, you know, celebrity puff thing. But that's not the format. The format is, oh, here's our guest so-and-so, and they're known for blah, 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 and whatever, whatever. Thank you. And they have a little chit-chat. And then it's like, tell me what your first disc is. And the person says, and they play a clip of it or whatever. Then they say, your father died recently. Tell yeah, us they, about what your relationship like. I'm like, wait, it's, what? It's, I, I finally watched one of those Hot Wings, uh, Celebrities Eat Hot Wings episode. Those make heard, more sense to me than this. Well, but like I, I finally watched the one with Pedro Pascal, which is delightful. The, the show is, is annoying to me, but I, I, I think the, but that works. They're interleaving, if I'm using that word correctly, they're interleaving questions to Pedro Pascal with eating hot wings and oh boy, these wings sure are hot. That's funny every time, I guess. That's what they're doing here. It's an interview interleaved. Right, with but, the, but it's so weird because it's so light and fluffy. Like, oh, tell me about your oh, favorite you're it song. Oh, you it gets heavy. Yeah, mm. because they're like, here's what they do. They're like, okay, tell me about your record. Or whatever. Like, one of the questions to Bono was like, uh, you've recently been criticized for moving <laughs> U2's royalties to an offshore bank, avoiding oh, paying uh, Irish taxes on them. Yeah. And then, and they have a whole big semi-contentious back and forth about that. And it's like, anyway, what's your next song? <laughs> this, is a song this is a song by the undertone. It's called Teenage Kicks. <laughs> yeah. Or the David Sedaris one talking about his, like, you know, uh, his, his sister, uh, you know, died recently. And then his father was abusive and just like, and then anyway, what's your next oh, song? Oh, no, I didn't want to hear that. I like, oh, I hate it. I, I do not think I was getting whiplash from the tone change. Well, in that and of case, course, this is going to be fun. The, and the the BBC host, of course, is doing that BBC sort of like unaffected, uh, jovial yeah. tone, no matter what the discussion is, whether it's like, tell me about your... I, it's almost... Here's what I think. When I hear the BBC host doing that, who I don't know who the host is, but I hear someone doing that thing, the sort of, uh, you know, same tone, no matter what they're saying. I, here's what I think. I think it's someone saying you know, so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, your father was whatever. How did you feel about that? And what I picture is then that person, the announcer, then leaves the building and drives home. <laughs> Does not listen to the answer. Yeah, I know. That's, a, really, drive that's back. a very good way they, to They put drive it. back and they say, okay, so what's your next song? Like, they have no interest in what the person is saying. Their only job or, is to, or like, like it prompt. Doesn't, it doesn't have any impact on the... The next thing they say. ...conversation. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Wow. Anyway. I, I was um, watching... Um, I was just flipping around on YouTube today doing some stuff and I ended up watching a, um, a BBC. I mean, it was a little bit self-congratulatory, but it was a BBC uh, 
series of, of, of like, basically it was about Prince Andrew and like, you know, what a piece of crap he is. And uh, they showed a bunch, do you remember the interview he did for Newsnight? The one where he says he never met um, what, Virginia Jeff, Jeffrey, right? And he says, oh, I don't remember that. And I took my daughter to pizza. Do you remember that? And he says, like, I, I, because of the Falkland War, I don't perspire, I didn't perspire at the mm-hmm. time. Do you yep. remember that interview? Yep. Yeah. But like with that, that, that's very well done. And she does wrap it back around and ask some tough questions. But that's hard when you got royalty. Well, you're my royalty. I, I mean, this was on the list. Um, I'm going to throw this out for you to have a minute to think on. This is Island Discs. You invite somebody on. You bring on, you know, John Syracuse or whomever. And the basic gist of the show is we're going to talk about eight songs, usually. Eight, you know, it could be a movement from something. A lot of people pick classical music. Because it's a podcast, they only play a little bit of the music before they have to cut it off. But, but, and then at the end, the, the really fun part is at the end, you've talked about your eight tracks. And then at the end, they say, okay, you're a castaway on a desert island. You're allowed to have those eight songs or records or whatever. Everybody gets the complete works of Shakespeare. And they used to say the Bible, but now I think they, they still say, do. They're still doing this. And this they still say the Bible? Yeah, they oh, still wow. the Bible. I was just going to ask you. And I'm not asking you right now because I want you to have some time to think about while I ask you different questions. Think about what your what your number one Desert Island, I'm going to say a, a CD disc tape, like a complete album. And I'd like to know what your comfort item would be. And I'd like to know what your replacement for the Bible would be. Was it, is it the Camel Book, Larry Wall? Yeah, so... Is this your comfort it, item a Mac? <laughs> there's there's two ways to, to go about you, this. Are you into answering this? Well, yeah. So let me. So first of all, the premise of this show and this whole exercise of like, if you're stuck on desert island, what X would you want? Oh, with boy, here we go. <laughs> I object to the question. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not. I'm just. I'm just explaining my my understanding of the question. Most of the time, that sort of premise is basically just a fun way to get people to tell you what their favorite stuff is. Right. It's not actually serious. Taking the serious. Uh, t- taking the premise seriously. Right. Because. If anyone took the premise seriously and had any kind of clue or life experience, you would know that whatever you take on the desert island with you, you will come to hate. It's like setting a song as your as your alarm to wake you up. You will eventually have a visceral negative reaction. Well, to that like that, song. that bug, that bug on um iPod or iPhone, where every time you plugged it in, it would play the first song alphabetically. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was a song, I think it was from, from OK Computer. But you come to despise that song because you just associate it with frustration. And, and if you're sitting there with a Tom Hanks that. beard painting, painting your volleyball, you know. Yeah, I think waking up uh, is, is a heavier version. But being stuck on a desert island and you had to pick, no matter what you pick, you are going to come to hate it. So the serious answer to that question is you would try to pick songs that you don't care if you're never able to listen to if you're ever rescued. So you're like, <laughs> you're not going to burn, like songs you're willing to burn. And then maybe songs that you think it will take you a slightly longer to hate. Well, and that or leads maybe me, if it's something you already dislike a little bit, that'll be coming. No, you no, take, I wouldn't torture myself like that because you would never listen to that. Yeah. Now, you, you what have if you the brought option, the song Who Let the Dogs Out? Yeah, I mean, in this fantasy scenario, somehow you have a way to play music where oh, like, right. batteries it's, don't yeah, run out or solar concept. panels or whatever. But like, <laughs> you could, one, one option is like, I'll just, if I get sick of it, I'll just choose not to listen to it. Therefore, I won't burn it. Well, A, you're already sick of it at that point. And B, 
there's nothing else to do. You're on a desert island. You're going to end up listening to it and you're going to end up hating it and you're going to end up painting the your Wilson volleyball. Like the, the, so the madness of being stuck on an island with these eight songs, it would not be healthy for you are the songs. It is. It does feel like a Jean-Paul Sartre thing in some ways. You know, we're always talking about like Mad and I, when we were kids, would always try and eat the baking chocolate in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. No matter how many times we took a bite and went, this is disgusting. You're still like, hey, chocolate. When you you feel like you've reached the bottom and you still got to hate this stuff so much, this cannot possibly turn into anything good. This is the worst. And that would be you and who let the dogs out. You'd be sick of the chocolate. I, mean, I wouldn't pick I, I would probably, you mentioned classical. My serious answer is I would probably pick a bunch of classical music that I'd probably never heard because I've seen like it would be the most innocuous and the most... I'm the most unfamiliar with, and it would take right. the longest to burn you out could, on. But I would know, come to hate those as well. You could pick. You could pick. If this is a little bit of a of a hack, this is like one of those you know you know get extra toppings on your hot dog kind of crap. Um, <laughs> what was it left left mushroom? What was that? What was the bit with the pizza? Remember that? Uh, something. Uh, something left. Uh, I'll get it in a second. It was. It was. Yeah, it was left beef. But I would think it, <laughs> there was some other. There was some other phrase. It was like. Um, uh, we'll find, none, we'll none pizza left, uh, left, <laughs> That's left right. meatballs yeah, or something like yeah. that. None pizza was the part. I'll get it. All right. Now I'm going to look it up. I know. I know. I know for a variety of reasons, uh, you know, his reputation is a little tarnished, but, uh, Richard Wagner, I hate to say it, but he, he was a hell of a composer. If you could find a way to get the whole ring trilogy, you're going to amuse yourself for hours. And the music is actually really good. You know? See, don't none, you, you wouldn't bring as much as you beef. love as much as you love uh say Chronic Town. Yeah, yeah. What is that? Six songs? You're not gonna bring you're that. not you can't bring any songs that you can't bring anything you actually like because you will come to hate it. You will ruin it for yourself. You can't do that. When you pick these, are you assuming you'll die on the island alone? No, I'm assuming that I'll eventually be rescued like Who's after rescue 20 years. You? And if I die on the island, I don't want to be stuck mm. with a bunch of songs I hate either. You waited patiently for the Lord. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, you know what? Forget it. Um, I mean, so, but anyway, the second part is, do you just want me to name uh, like eight favorite songs no, it's or something? Fine. No, no, no. Forget <laughs> it. Let's move on. It's a dumb question. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like, no, that's forget how, it. You're, t- you're nobody terrible answers, No one takes the premise seriously. They just an- happily answer. Here are some songs they like. And especially on a show like Desert Island Disc, I'm sure they're like, let me pick obscure stuff that makes me seem like sophisticated or interesting or whatever. Well, I'll find you some different ones. Stuart Lee did one that was really good. I know you're a big fan of his. Mm-hmm. Bloody beakerful coming over here. Um, I'm going to ask you some feelings questions. You ready? Mm-hmm. Not asking for the best. I'm kind of asking you for your favorite. I want you to go back and from a mainly like from a feelings standpoint, from an engagement standpoint. What is your most beloved? Let's just say app. Well, what's your most beloved app from the You should pre- read the, the Relay FM member newsletter. If you are a member of Relay, one of the other perks you get, I think, mm-hmm. is like a, a monthly newsletter. Mm. And they have regular features in the okay. monthly newsletter. Let me one that of them. Up here. Um, read newsletter. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Got it. <clears throat> one, one of the uh, regular You're features. You're very, is, very good at this. Include they once. Ask they call Relay John, host. include once Syracuse. Just shh, let me finish. They, they ask a Relay host to show their home screen on their phone. And then talk about it. And this month was my month. So in the most recent newsletter, I showed my home screen on my phone, and then I talked about it in the uh, the newsletter. And one of the things I mentioned uh, was I was when I was describing why is this app on my home screen. I said this app is on my home screen because it is my favorite and most used iOS application. Can you guess what it is? Um, is it? it 
Hmm. No, don't don't give me a clue. I don't deserve a clue. See, like for me, that would be drafts. Is it is it a capture app? No, it's not. It's I mean, that, that's your favorite, but it's not no, mine. No, but I mean like, okay, but I mean like a, a quick capture app seems like, well, I don't know. What is it? What's yours? It's Twitterific. That's why I had to explain. It doesn't oh, even work course. anymore, but I put it in my doc as sort of a memorial, like yeah, a place of yeah. honor, right? I do stuff like that. Because Twitterific is by far my most used iOS app, and it is also my favorite of all time. Because I, I have so many good memories of using that app from like day one of sure, like Twitter. Sure, sure, Right? And the, the the years that it's gone through, the fact that it got resurrected on the Mac because of the Kickstarter and everything, the, yeah. the, the, the evolution of how it looks on the phone, the fact that it had a unified timeline that no one else seems to want to do, like... That's my favorite iOS. Oh, right, right, That's right. the one I have the most warm and fuzzy feelings about. This is a pretty good, pretty good screen you got here. Oh, Calendars Five. That's a good app. And Ivory. Okay. But the question is, do that, but for pre OS ten apps. Like for me, I don't know. I always say this, and I really think it's true. Like File Buddy was in some ways just my favorite app because it was like beyond a Swiss Army knife for me. It's other things I loved. <laughs> The $300 Mac, right, too? No, but I mean, I love stuff like when freehand... $500. But $200 next year, right? But like when freehand got the ability... Freehand and Illustrator seemed locked in this incredible battle in the early 90s, where it used to be that you had to use uh, Illustrator to get Bezier Curves. And then they added Curves plus previews, but it was so costly computationally. It was kind of funny. But then freehand came along and like was like, what What you could do with Canvas, now you can do so much more with freehand, and that became my go-to for everything. But for me, that would be File Buddy. Do you have a particularly warm place in your heart for an aspect of Classic Max? For an aspect or an app? Well, I'm saying an app. I'm, see, I'm, I'm already wincing from expecting the blow from you. Is there an But like, that doesn't have to be an app. It could be the turtle and the rabbit. <laughs> In in the control panel. I mean, which I, have, is, I have so many to name. I'm not sure how I could rank them. Is but there I one mean, there like when you look back warmly? Things like you know, Marco talks about uh, what does he call it? Like uh, the the thing where app delight, like the thing where the the you know the light on the MacBook would pulse, you know, at the rate of like a heartbeat, stuff like that. Did you? It could be a piece of UI. Was it when you look back at what you loved about Max as a younger person? What really jumps out to you? Could could be the mouse. Could be the menus. Could be the turtle. I mean, Spatial Finder is up there for me for sure, because that was, I mean, especially in the days before the internet, which was a lo- most of my time with the computer until I left for college, was there was no network connection, there was no internet. So I'm just on my computer and the Finder was what appeared when you turned on the computer. And I spent a lot of time in the Finder arranging my computing life, uh, which was a thing you could do when the Finder actually remembered uh, your state, when I mean, how, how big my windows were, what the, what apps were where, right. how right, they were right. arranged, custom icons. Like, it was all very carefully arranged, uh, very organized, the way you would organize, like, your office. I just want to get my office just so. I got bins for all my things. Uh, and the, this you know, has really like, fallen by the wayside over time. But, I mean, for example, I used to be a Pathfinder user because I loved so much of what you could do with the Finder back in the day that I wanted more of that. And I feel like some of that has kind of gone away. We kind of got to the point of like, oh, automatically show favorites or recent apps and stuff like that. Like there has they, not turned, been a- they turned the Finder into a browser, which a browser is an interface people are familiar with from the web. And so mm-hmm. they figured it's just a more, a more comfortable interface for most people. But I miss it from classic macOS. And I still maintain that there's no reason why you can't have both a spatial Finder and a Finder browser at the same time, as long as you distinguish them from each other. But Apple has thus far refused to do that, which is a shame. But I have good feelings about that. Um, 
-hmm. think pop-up tab folders, you know, those little things where you could drag a folder, uh, drag a window, drag a window in the finder to the bottom of the screen and it would turn into a little tab. Love that. And then for a while there was a, not a hacksy, but there was a, like a shareware thing that would do that. Um, like folder window or something like that. But yeah, you used to be able to grab up in the, the horizontal bars <laughs> back in the day, drag, and you could drag it down and it would turn into like a tab, right? Yep. And then it would pop, that tab would pop up. You could click it to pop it up, click it to go down. You could drag something onto the tab and it would pop up. And this is all before the dock, is before the dock. And so it's before, do you want to see Genie or Fand or like all those different, I guess the, the one thing I was going to say, I totally agree with you about the finder. And like, I, I just in terms of old man reminiscing, just to nail to the tree exactly what you're saying you if you had any brains you would organize the folders you cared about in the same way that you would organize well back then your checkbook or whatever or your office or your workbench or any sort of area where you're going to be doing work i'm in command two most of the time in the finder these days command two which is list and sorted by date added uh calculate folder sizes on for almost every folder, that's how I live. I almost always want the most, and the problem is, oh, why don't you do it by date modified? Well, if it's something you downloaded and that download was created two years ago, it'll get lost in your stuff, right? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, but you, but like the point is like for my download folder, my desktop folder, my images folder, the folders that I use 90% of the time, I'm very picky about that. Like if you've hit command one because you want the big icons and you, you want the icons to be this big and you want the name to be on the side and you want it, there's not tons of options for this, but there's enough options. And having that be remembered became, and this is why I'm sympathetic to your displeasure with the lack of a spatial finder, is that like that, that is, that really becomes how you think about your work. And even like, even something like the way you could make little piles, ad hoc piles, not organized, not, you know what I mean? Not like, not snap to grid, but like, you've got a whole bunch of stuff. You could just make your window really big, as big as a nine inch monitor can make it. And you could say, these are, these are in, these are out. You could create a new folder and do that. But again, these are all options. You could use the mouse to do it. Talk, talk. The sound of clicking a mouse in 1987 was intoxicating to me. Remember that? It wasn't tick, tick. It was talk, talk. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Finder, I'll allow it. You can have that on your desert island. You can have that along with um, the Larry Wall book, uh, Everything by Shakespeare, and uh, the song, the song, Who Let the Dogs Out? Yeah, the reason, I'm assuming the reason they say uh, works of Shakespeare in the Bible is, you know, just Anglo-Christian centrism to say, well, of course, everybody in wants England? it, wants... Wants the, the works that say. are important to my people. So we'll just basically they're trying to we know that if we don't list these, yeah. you'll just say them because you're just like me. Right. Right. Uh, so that's why they include them, which I can't believe they're still you're right. I can't believe they're still doing that. Like, that's why you thought they might have stopped. Like, what if they anyway, it's it's it, kind of insulting and bad. I read that they in the in the Wikipedia entry, which which is already in notes. Uh, this is one about uh, Judy, Judy Dench because she has site accessibility issues. Uh, she's allowed to have audiobooks. Mm hmm. Dame, Dame Judy go. Dench. So, mm -hmm. all right. Yeah, so no, I, I don't, I don't know what what book I was. Kind of the same thing with the book. You will get sick of it slower because it takes longer than listening. Yeah. But, ugh. um, thank you for those. I think we can clear those bugs. Um, maybe a couple more. Sure. Now this is weird, and and don't 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 if if you want to like answer however you want, but for years, uh, you wrote. Is it fair to say annually? For Ars Technica, you would write a book length, they became book length reviews for each new 
full new version of OS X. That's, I think it could be argued that that was one of your early claims to fame, was you wrote these amazing, I mean, it's what, like 50, almost like 50,000 words, right? Mm-hmm. And you would publish that on Ars Technica. And for anybody, like when I first, I mean, I knew about you, but of course I, I got into your stuff after you did, when you were doing Hypercritical. And that's when I learned more about your process and like dealing with taking screenshots and they changed something that goes together. Just a huge amount of your time went into this project. I know you know this, as you know, Bob, you spent a lot of time on this. Yeah, you got paid for it, but like, boy, was that ever a hustle. And I, I, I feel like you've said pretty clearly on the record, like you're, you're kind of glad to not have that pressure and un, not knowing is this the correct screenshot? What date will this come out? Will this be done? Will the EPUB be ready? All that stuff, right? Fair to say, like, you know, there's things where you're probably glad not to have that hanging over your head. Question is, um, what do you most miss? Let me phrase this right. You do it however you want, but the way I would phrase it is, what do you most miss about having completed that project once a year or doing that project once a year, whatever, however you want to answer? There's got to be stuff you miss about that. I mean, the thing I miss about doing it um, is, well, it, it became part of the anxiety, but early on it was less anxiety, uh, was discovering things that I know nobody else knew about it. And that that became harder and harder to do as the Apple press world expanded and it wasn't just me digging it. It was in the beginning. I was the only person writing anything about Mac OS X because it hadn't been released People yet. People didn't used to cares. dig around in packages and, and look yeah, for emails. Or, or like <laughs> eventually getting, you know, inside technical sources to tell me things that other people wouldn't know that's not documented anywhere. And I would I would not I'm not a reporter, so I would not cite them as sources, but their information informed what I wrote. So I could mm -hmm. confidently say things without explaining how I knew them. And most people would never ask. Well, it's essentially like somebody saying, like, there's that giant library that has thousands of books in it, but I can tell you exactly where to go, where there's this one book nobody knows about. Like, it's they're just pointing to something that is in public. Yeah, or, or they're just telling me something that is not discoverable from the operating system itself, but had to be told to you by someone who made it. Like when we, <laughs> iPad window management. Yeah, when we, we originally did X, but then changed our mind to do Y. And by the way, you can do Z, and there's no way to discover that without someone telling you. You know, like... And I would just state that flat out, like uh, w with the confidence of knowing that I am actually right. Sometimes people would challenge me on it, but I wouldn't say, well, I know that because Apple engineer told me I would just say, I'm pretty sure it's right. And I would, you know, <laughs> anyway, I, I miss uh, like that process of sort of being excited that there was some cool stuff in the OS that no one was talking about yet. And once I published my thing, then people would know it and they would be talking about it. And that became way harder to do because eventually mm -hmm. everything, you know, there was tons of people on this beat, so to speak. And pretty much everything would be known, especially towards the end where like people were putting out pre-reviews of the betas and everything like that. There used to be more of a, a, an environment of fear around even talking about betas and that faded as Absolutely. the Apple yeah. community became uh, bigger or whatever. Um, I also really liked, uh, as much as you, you were citing like my uh, the suffering I would endure when Apple would change something graphically in the, in the OS. The, su the suffering was out of difficult work you know needed to happen. But importantly, at least for my personality, it's combined with a huge amount of uncertainty, whether that's about the date that it comes out or how much this will change between then and now. And the cast for somebody with your mind, the cascading effects of change must have been kind of terrifying. Yeah, yeah you got to rewrite things. But like the, the screenshot process, I love taking and arranging and thinking of and composing screenshots to be just so. I really sweated over those. And you had really good to, Easter eggs in to, your. To make, uh, yeah, to make examples. them nice. And like, you know, I, I was very studious about not faking them. So like they were real screenshots that I would really arrange on the screen, other than like blanking out personal information occasionally. But like, mm -hmm. 
I wouldn't, they weren't like made in Photoshop out of bits and pieces. I would take screenshots, right? And I would crop them or whatever. And then if they, you know, if they, if Apple changed the way the OS looked, they had to redo all those screenshots. So I had re to essentially recreate them, right? Like mm. it's like, uh, you know, you've already strike, struck, struck the set, strike to the set. I don't know. What but the if they, is. if they changed a, a gradient in the stoplight color, that's going to affect a lot of your screenshots if you want them to be accurate. Yeah. Or just ch- change the shade of gray of a background or like, you know, just yeah. anything like that that would just really mess things. But anyway, but I did enjoy, that's the other thing I enjoyed about the making process. I loved uh, arranging cool looking That's so cool. I, I always thought that was a pain in the butt for you. I mean, it is when they would change things, but it was also a part of the, I, I enjoyed doing it the first time. I didn't enjoy having to redo it because right. it was, there was, I didn't really have a workflow where I could re- recreate the set, so to speak. But you would always like, so you would, you alerted me at least once maybe twice about like oh make sure you check out this paragraph and there would be some kind of a, a fun like the contacts list what, what the contacts list was like was it japanese animators or something what was your i've, I've done a bunch of easter eggs of names but or links, things your links were good too. i also you do... Would do easter egg links that were really funny yeah, too. I, do, I do what i call stealth links even on on uh on my current website hypercritical.co uh i have a class equal stealth in my css style sheets that it will make a link. like regular text takes out the yeah it, it makes a link not blue and not underlined but if you oh, hover over God. it your finger will turn into the little pointy thing and i'm so like if it's kind of like the notifications but yeah if you if you read any of my writing you know i love links i'm linking everything and so if you get a feel for my writing the, the goal of the stealth link is you'll be reading a sentence and you'll be thinking huh it's kind of weird that he didn't link that i was surprised i would have thought he would have yeah. linked that phrase because it seems just like the kind of thing that he would link <laughs> and then you hover over it and you're like oh it turns into a little finger a really pointer. Good RFC hiding in here. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I still do the stealth links. I enjoy doing that in my articles as well. Yeah, I, I do too. And that's just back to the the previous bitch. Like, I've got extensions. You know, there was the promise years ago of I don't remember what happened to this. The results of this promise, but it was said. You know, as far as we've really locked everything down with these extensions, but there's this whole like I guess SDK API. I don't know what where you're going to be able to, like take your cool extensions from Chrome or whatever and bring them into Safari. And like, mostly that just led to like several years of wilderness where there just weren't that many. I've got really good stuff now. I've got a couple, three different things that help with Markdown. So like Command Shift L will just copy the page I'm on with the name, the title of the page in brackets and the URL in parentheses. So it just, it just knows to do that. I've got another one that'll copy like all the style out of it. When I paste it into drafts, it'll have the right H's, it'll have the right I's and, or sorry, E, M's and et cetera. But like, if you're, if if you're like me and you love making links, like, like you do, not being able to have keyboard commands for that stuff, it feels bananas. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. Someone was mentioning the other day that uh, Safari has had, I think, four different ways to make extensions for it. Like, is that right? Four entirely different since it first came out? Yeah, because like, they, you know, they, just like totally different ways of like, you know, what do you write? How do you package it? What did it Was I, it in the first, was it in the beta of OS X? Uh, no, Safari wasn't even, didn't even exist then. But I'm saying like, for the life of Safari, when they finally added extensions to Safari, they said, here's how you make a Safari extension. Then a few years later, they said, actually, no, never mind. Here's how you make a Safari extension. They did that four times. Oh, jeez. And I, I, I know I've done at least two or three of them with my silly reload button. Because I had to basically make a new extension. I mean, not, it's not complicated. It'll just reload a page. But I had to make a new extension. Like, and how are they made now? Are they packages? <laughs> do you make them in Xcode? Or do you have to ship an app? Like, it's so weird. 
But wasn't that sort of like a, a big push? Was they say, hey, look, you know, we're going to keep this safe for everybody, right? We're going to blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but like, I mean, the original ones were very limited, and the original ones were a little bit less safe, then they got more safe. And then, as you noted, the most recent round is like, oh, no, okay, we've got a new way. This is the real final way, and this way is compatible okay. with Chrome extensions. And we'll see if there's a fifth way eventually. Yeah, that's the thing about Chrome is I've, I, I capitulated and got Chrome, which I haven't had on any of my computers for years for reasons, but I got it because it's real good for some chat GPT stuff. It's got the good extensions for sharing and stuff. Stuff that like, it's only, only now are they baking in like sharing links. Anyway, you've answered the question. And so I don't, um, there's a couple quick more. Um, can I ask you a general one? Mm-hmm. And I don't know quite how to phrase this. Jokes have left the room. A lot of us look to you as our virtual friend, um, for unintentional, perhaps, lessons that you teach or that we pick up. I've talked usually in other places about how I think, while I'm, I'm far from good at anything, you have, work, working with you, talking with you, has made me more self-aware about foibles, about the log in my eye, and then about even being able to know whether that foible is real. So, you know, you screwed me up real good, but I think there's ways in which it's been really good. But the way that you talk about being a rational, but still like humane person, I mean, I know that you're a humane person. You're, you're a good guy, but let's get to this. Well, you're going to hate this. Take it anywhere you want. Is there one change in the way that our listeners and us, some Americans, whatever, who, is there one change in thinking or cognition that could be beneficial to a lot of people? Maybe it's difficult. Maybe, maybe it's easy. But is there is there a thing that like if you were going to give the equivalent of advice to a friend or like a, an audience, what's a thought technology that's been really important for you in trying to get less bad at whatever you're doing? Mm, so you start out phrasing this kind of kind of like the Desert Island thing is like if there's one if there's one uh, thing that you would give to people. I'm not asking or one you change. all of them one change that you could make or whatever. And I have an answer, but the problem is my answer. I know it's a non-starter. I know it's not going to ever happen. So this would need to be like a magical wish fulfilling. You have a magic wand and you can give people this thought technology with your magic (laughs) wand. And yeah, uh, you know, and that's, and so I like, I don't go around trying to give people thought technologies for the most part, but you asked, so I'll answer. Um, I would, I wish more people had uh, a better answer to the question, how do you tell whether things are true? Because mm-hmm. that is the root of a lot of bad stuff. Like if you chase any you're bad not, you're not thinking, asking people, is this reported fact true? You're asking them, no, that's a different question. I'm asking you how you know whether a thing is true. And not just like, you know, statements, libel, whatever, but like, like truth, like big T truth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How do you tell whether things are true? How do you tell, yeah. how do you tell what the truth is? How do you tell what things are true? Um, because if you, if you find any, pick any bad idea and you chase it for just, for just a little while, sexism, racism, you know, any kind of form of bigotry, you chase the idea for a tiny little bit with someone who is stuff like force ranking a team at Microsoft. There's all kinds of stuff that's just out, out there in the ether. Well, that's not, I was not going to put that up there with a bigotry, racism and sexism. (laughs) As if you work at Microsoft. Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, I'm sure it's a factor in those, but, but those type of ideas. Uh, what you'll very quickly run into is 
a foundation of belief that is not true that the person holds and you run up against the wall because you know okay mm-hmm. well how how is it that i could convince this person that this foundation of belief that like women are inferior or whatever how can i convince them that they're wrong about that and the problem is their system for determining truth is not yours and you don't agree with their system and so you it's, can't it's like, difficult to have any kind of you're, a you're at an impasse right yes. to, to give just one example and i know you love this one Mm-hmm. Uh, down at the bottom of a lot of the stuff is like husbands submit to your wife some crap in the Bible, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, yeah. God said it. I believe it. <laughs> Game over, right? Yeah. What are you going to do to that person? Like, you can't you can't have that conversation anymore. It's like, how do you tell that things are true? It's like, well, it's in the Bible, so I believe I've it's true. I've got things like that. I am, I feel like, if I may say a certainty, that I'd still have things like that where there's these tentpole things. I mean, I think a lot of stuff with gender right now is is very confusing to a lot of people. I mean, I mean, everybody does, but the thing is, like, it, it depends on, you know, because it's not like everyone uses the same system to determine every truth. But, like, but mm-hmm. when when it comes time to, like, evaluate anew or reevaluate something, if the system people have for determining truth is based on magical thinking, like, there's nothing you can really do there except for, like, great, I've got to break down your entire your entire reality before I can convince you that you shouldn't, you know, discriminate against women. Right. <laughs> and At that like, point, you almost have to become like a salesperson where it's not about being right. It's about closing the deal. You do whatever you need to say. You yeah, empathize. And that's, yeah, that, and that's a different strategy. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, no, no, I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying know, that's, that's politics, right? Yeah. The, you know, finding, find, we've talked about this before, like finding the thing that will get the result you want is very different from actually like ever convincing anybody of anything. It's two separate right. things, right? And that, but this is the magic wand scenario. How do you tell the things are true? Sometimes I ask my kids this. They don't, uh, maybe when I'm dead, they'll say, my dad used to ask us this question, but I don't remember what he, what he thought the answer was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I think that's I think that's really important because so many people who would say that it's they have rational and reasonable ways to determine whether things are true uh, exclude certain subjects from that, right? They're, they're, you know, right. there'd be, you know, again, foundational beliefs. Well, it's about- like if, if you think of your mind or your, your soul, all that, you know, in, interior world, it's almost like an Airbnb where, you know, there's a room there, but there's a lock on it for a reason. Like you're not going to get to go into that closet where they keep their actual yeah, stuff. And, and sometimes it's benign, like, oh, you know, all dogs go to heaven or whatever. That's a benign belief. It's probably not affecting anybody. Well, think about, think about mine where you and I go to at loggerheads about anything related to faith. Not because I'm a God-fearing Christian monster, but because I get frustrated. You just want to cover dish. <laughs> I was famous at Wednesday night dinners for something called Merlin's Mush, where I did the equivalent <laughs> of, a, of a suicide with all the food. Is it a meal fit for a king? Did you notice in succession that when the kids are hanging out, that wonderful scene where they're playing together, and they do the thing where they put all the food in the blender, and she spits in it, and like Kendall's got to eat it? It, it occurred to me, because we were all sitting there waiting and wondering if Kendall was going to do himself in, like Billy and I had predicted. And we thought, you know what? Um, I was like, you realize that, that they just did the equivalent of a suicide. Like when you're a kid and you go to the movies and you put Sprite, you put Dr. Pepper. We did not call it that. I know what you, you mean. You didn't call it a suicide when you, no, you mixed everything in one? You know what we call that? We call it running, we running from one line in the gym to the other back and forth. Those were called doing suicides. I'm pretty sure they don't call them that anymore. Oh, well, what are they called? Air sprints? Hmm? No. I don't when, know what they when, call them when jumps. Yeah. We, we, uh, the problem of growing up in the 70s is we only know the extremely problematic names for things. <laughs> we don't know the new ones. It's, it's absolutely true. And I, it's like, I, I want to mention those things as a way of saying, huh, look how far we came. But also because that is what people said. And this yeah. is why I find myself sometimes saying to people, including my wonderful son, I can't change the past. 
And in choosing an incorrect word, like we were watching that Harvey Milk documentary last night. Two things that we just talked about came straight up. One of them was where people are protesting this terrible thing called Proposition 6 by this uh, state senator in California. It's, it's, you know, this came along again with nine a few years later, but basically was a way of saying like, hey, if you work in a school and you're a queer person, you can just get fired. That's all there is to it. Like there's no job security you know, kind of as the first volley into what would be, yeah, you also can't rent an apartment. You can't do all this stuff. And Harvey Milk and a lot of other people led this opposition to this and got out in canvas. There's a wonderful scene where these two folks are, you know, and they're, they're you know, they're, they're cleaned up. They look, they look like pretty normal. They're not super weird. They talk to this uh, very old Chinese American couple. And you can see in the course of the conversation, how they were able to say, in like this, in the most like just basic human way, like, you know, they're just sitting there and, Hey, you're just talking to me. You're talking to me. Like, man, doesn't that, doesn't that seem like something that would be not fair to people? And, you know, as you might be aware that sometimes you know, a little bit of slippery slope, but I think it's fair to say like, you know, sometimes this kind of thing is used in what feels like a benign way, but then that becomes a way to control and manipulate and, you know, exclude other groups. And this like 80-year-old Chinese guy goes, yeah, 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 I, I, I know what you mean. And, but then there's this other scene. God, there's these two women in this movie. I, you probably saw it like a million years ago, right? Harvey Firestein. I don't think so. I don't think I've ever seen it. It's, it's like a, you know, it's like the length of duck, duck Soup. I think it's like a 72-minute movie. It's really good. Um, uh, really good documentary. Um, but like there's uh, these, these two of the women in it we're very involved in this. And one of them is, I think a straight cis woman and she and her husband were very involved. The other one is this woman who describes herself as a motorcycle dyke. And like, because that's, that's what everybody called themselves. And it's eventually what we were taught to call somebody who wanted to be called that, you know, when today we have, you know, perhaps more enlightened ways of talking about femme, you know, um, Versus, you know, all the different ways that you see on Pose or Paris is Burning for describing this particular category. But like today, I've been admonished to never use that word in our house. And like, I personally, I don't think it's so bad, but I, it's hurt, if it's hurtful to somebody Language in the house. Language changes. You keep up with the times. It does. It, I agree. I agree. And there's a lot that I've learned about that. But there are still, there are still times where it, I find it a little bit frustrating. And it's like, hey, you know, I'm not trying to teach my kid anything. If anything, my kid has a lot to teach me, but I'll just be saying to Madeline, God, isn't that crazy? Like this, this thing that we're doing here, like I, when I lived in Florida, I did not meet many black people who had any position of power. They lived in the poor neighborhood. You know, it was true in Sarasota. If you lived on MLK by the barbecue place, that was real different than living where the sculptor John Chamberlain lived. It was one of the most economically, um, there's a term I always forget. There's like very, it's not a bell curve. There's a high poverty rate on the left and a high rich rate on the right. And then not that much in between, but you know, you, I never saw black people in power. It just, you didn't, you didn't, I mean, I imagine that like in state government and stuff, but then you come to San Francisco and like, or back then anyway, maybe Oakland's a better example, but you're just, you better get your mind right. Because if you're not ready to accept that these are people who have their own system that you're entering rather than being the system that you got to partially or you and your forebears got to kind of define back in South Carolina. Like it's going to be a little bit different here and that's going to be an adjustment, but meeting those people <clears throat> in the same way that those people canvassing against proposition six were able to 
have a a calm and persuasive argument with a very conservative couple, like those chances are still out there. The more you're exposed to those people you think are different. I'm sorry, I'm in the rant now. Sorry about that. I just feel like there's so it's so easy to be so confused about all of this stuff right now. And it's it's real easy to be unintentionally hurtful, let alone ignorant. And uh, I think we've got a long way to go. Yeah, just to wrap up my answer to that thing of, you know, uh, the thought technology of how do I tell, uh, how do you tell whether things are true? Yeah. Uh, the thing that, you know, the answer to that that I'm looking for people to go to is to not have a foundational dogmatic thing that that is that has no support, right? Because mm-hmm. you can make up an infinite number of those and they're all equally ridiculous. It's, it's kind of like the, the elephants on which you assume the earth. Yeah, exactly, right? And you know, yeah. and whatever it is, you know, haha, you thought you got me with turtles all the way down, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That sounds, that's a silly story. Oh, the earth is sitting on the backs of a bunch of turtles. It sounds silly to us, but it is absolutely <laughs> no sillier than any other foundation of belief that is causing you to do a bad 100%. thing in the world yep. uh, that has no, that, that you, that you never, that you never apply a reasonable test for truth to. If, right. if it's something like that is causing you to do good things in the world or is, is neutral and not causing you to do anything, who cares? Fine, whatever. But like, like you imprint on an emotion. So you might become one of those people who like just doesn't tip well. Or you become one of those people who doesn't pick up their trash. You know what I mean? You become one of those people where, like, you've got your reasons for how you are. Yeah, you just think this is the way the world's work, and this is the role of all the different people who aren't me. You're highly attuned to the personal injustices that you feel that you have suffered, because that, alongside probably some other things, heavily constitutes what enables you to be such a piece of crap day to day. Yeah. In your life, in your life, though. I mean, isn't it fair to say, I'm, I'm just, I'm answering your, your question, so forgive me, but... There's that phrase that I think I don't understand that well, and I think might be a little bit overly tossed around, although very valuable, an evidence-based approach. Yeah. When my wife started talking about this, and she's like, oh, you know, a big thing in medicine right now is evidence-based stuff. And I'm like, well, what was it before? Also known as medicine. Yeah, well, what did you call it before it was? Well, well, Isn't that what science is? This is something that you you harp on a lot sometimes as the lived experience thing that you talk about with Alex, right? Why do we have Mm -hmm. the phrase lived experience? It's the same reason we have the phrase evidence-based medicine. But exactly the same reason. Well, the same reason, I mean, by that same logic, unfortunately, that's why we have PIN numbers. If I just well, said, it's, not, your it's pin, not quite the same thing as pin it, number. It is in the sense of like, if, do you want to communicate clearly or do you want to be right? And I face that all the time where I know how I would prefer to write this, but I know the tone, say it's for Twitter, right? I know what that tone needs to be. And if I did this properly, it would have less of an impact than if I put it in the way that people would get. And I'm going to say I'm great at it, but like part of writing or part of communicating well is knowing, is, is knowing not when, just when to break a rule, but to, I mean, to understand what it is you're trying to accomplish. And that goes just for so much stuff in life where like, you know, you know, maybe, I mean, you can make it as stupid as learn to draw before you try to make a Jackson Pollock painting. But I think it's true for a, for a whole bunch of things. So lived experience and evidence-based medicine are slightly different than pin number, I think, because yeah. pin number is just like, oh, well, someone said it once and it's kind of redundant, but whatever, it's fine. But lived experience and, and evidence-based medicine are situations where we had the phrase without the extra stuff for a long time. We had just yes. medicine and experience, right? Uh, but those two things, those two systems of, you know, those two sort of foundations of our society 
came under assault from other angles, we right. had to add extra qualifiers to say, no, no, no. You had, you had to put a, you had to put, there was already a frame, but it's almost like you needed to put a label next to the frame. Exactly. I was saying, you don't, I'm telling you my experience as a black person in America and you're not believing me. So I now have to say lived experience. So you'll start saying, no, really? Like, do you know where experience comes from? Experience right. comes from me living my life. I'm not just telling you a story. Right, this right, happens right. to me. And when I say the word experience or when I relay my experiences, that's not landing. So let me say lived experience. And it seems redundant from a language perspective, but it's because of the assault on I, the, I, no, I, the experience. I don't, I don't I mean? disagree. I mean, so, sometimes I'm having fun with the fact that there's a certain kind of performative costume that people like to don for things that, I mean, I guess it's good. I guess you're helping the cause, but there is a lot of, you know, I mean, there's the humor in it that people will apply to literally everything, right? You know, well, your, your protein, yeah. your your pronouns are he, him. Wow. Yeah. And, and that evidence-based medicine, obviously, it's medicine coming under the assault of like, you know, oh, try this. It was made by it was it was made by a teacher and it cures the common cold. It's like, OK, but there is right. more there is more to it than that. But I've seen that come up. Think about something like another example might be harm reduction. We're like you say, oh, well, you know, our, our goal right now with. You know, we'll just call it in general the drug problem, which can mean a lot of different things, especially in San Francisco. But we want to take, like, let's say, for the sake of argument, I want to take a harm reduction approach. I mean, harm reduction is so good for so many things, but it makes people freaking crazy. That's, that's a great example of how do I tell other things are true? Because there are foundational beliefs that they can't get over that prevents them from saying, you know, every time we study drug right. problem or the homeless problem, people have done this all over the world. I, I hate, we I keep, hate we keep running Why this test over and over again. We know Why what works. I... But it's like, yeah, yes. but the thing that works bothers me so much because of a foundational belief. Yeah, exactly right. That's a good that, way to put that's it. Found, a foundational belief of turtles, right? And you dig down to it. It's like, don't talk about the turtles, man. You can't question my turtles. And it's like, oh, well, I guess we can't have this conversation then. I really hope there's more people like me who vote than people like you, but not always the case. Mm -hmm. So that's why, yeah, like, oh, harm reduction or whatever. Some, some strategy that has been shown to work. It's like, but it really bothers but the, me. The, the evidence-based thing, and I, I can understand why, you know, it's you could kind of roll your eyes at that phrase. But if you explore it a little bit, I think there's a lot to it in several aspects of everybody's life. Um, one mushy, internal, you know, uh, touchy-feely one is, gosh, if you have anxiety, uh, or you have OCD, all kinds of different sort of conditions. There are things like cognitive behavioral therapy, or what's the other one that's really popular right now? Um, uh, dialectical uh, behavioral therapy. There's all these different ways of trying to like catch this process that exists, but you don't really have a name for or an awareness of. To catch that process of sort of uh, the way I would explain it in a really stupid, dumbed down, incorrect way is, well, there's a thing that happens in the world and then there's how you are now and what happened in between. Classic example people give with CBT is to say, well, you know, um, Joan did not say hi to me this morning and she had a sour look on her face. That makes me feel sad and angry. You know, again, the seven dwarfs of bad emotions. And you go, wait a minute. And this is where evidence base comes in. What was my evidence that led me to that? And a lot of times, spoiler alert, when you disassemble that complex and kind of screwed up emotional response, you've got a little bit of bad wiring or faulty foundation in there because you're making your mind for whatever reason, trying to protect you. Remember your mind is always doing the right thing. It's just sometimes doing the right thing about the wrong thing, <laughs> but it's trying to help you and protect you. But instead you're developing this new habit of thinking that everything's all about you and the evidence-based approach for one thing allows you to go, you know what? 
I don't, I don't think Joan's actually like how Joan feels about me is not that big of a deal. And why does, why do I just assume that it's about me? That's just one aspect, let alone. And the reason I brought it up to begin with is I don't know if this would be interesting or, or adjacent to what you said, but we're trying to figure out whether something's true. Well, let's take it. Let's take it. For example, this is a thing that, you know, a lot of science in the last 150 years has been about discovering things that were unknown before. I mean, in the sense that that weren't knowable. We did before x-rays, we mostly had like drawings of the hands of cadavers. You didn't have a way to actually see where this person's hip was broken without cutting them open before you even get into to like subatomic particles and quantum theory. But a lot of what we've done has been about like trying to, and I have to admit, of course, there's a BBC show about how specificity and measurements change the world. Like the, whether that's with time or distance, the unification of all the different basic, whatever, six or seven units, right? The like six or seven kinds of polyhedrons, all these kinds of things that get sort of standardized. But like the evidence-based approach thing goes, there is still a role for like the hunch where like one, like I think the one role for the hunch is, hmm, this person that I've never met moved pretty quickly into talking about Joe Rogan. And that's that's a that's a at least a little bit of a flag for me to kind of keep an eye on this. But the evidence-based approach part in my mind is like, I gotta take all of this in, again, try to not make it about me, but like how credible is this thing based on the evidence? That sounds so obvious. But how many times have we like you retweet something that's obviously just some partisan BS or all these ways that information gets spread around? because we don't have a way to determine, a shared way anyway, to determine what is true. And we end up slipping back into this like serial cognitive bias. Uh, because that's what people want, right? So yeah, how, how, do you, how do I tell whether things are true? You're looking for what, what is the answer? People want the answer to be, someone tell me how, what things are true or uh, have, some, have it written down somewhere what things it's are a, true. It'll, like it'll they be updated. Like those things that had the expired credit cards, stolen credit cards you flip through when you're a waiter. You want the latest edition. You want the uh, the, the, the the June of 2023 version of what's true. Right. You, it, people want to delegate it out. People want there to be, they don't want to have to do it themselves. But the yeah. actual answer to how do I tell whether things are true is a process and not a place where you find the answers. Right. And that is frustrating. Uh, absolutely. Because then you have to repeatedly apply the process and hope your process is reasonable. Which and your sounds process off, is, it sounds off topic, but it's huge. It's right, so Because people and people think people do this all the time. They're like, oh, well, I believe in the Bible. but You just believe in science. Science is not a bunch of words written down that say everything that's true. Science is a process. Right. The Bible is not a process. <laughs> it's a bunch of things written down. Yeah. The, built built into the idea of my understanding anyway, is built into the idea of the scientific process is the idea that. Whatever it is we're saying, what's that phrase? Oh, God, I forget you said it. Um, actually, one of you quoted it on ATP this week. Strong opinions loosely held. Well, is I mean, I, I, if, if science, what they, what they would say is uh, the best model we have for now that, that lets us make some kind of predictions about the real world. I'm going to say this with certainty, but what I'm going to tell you with certainty is like, this is what happened when this thing with this p-value, p-value with this number of people in this instance, bottom of here's what happened. But like, I, implicit in all of that, it seems to me, I don't think this always comes through and turns out reporting is like, yeah, based on these conditions and all the stuff we described in the abstract and all this different stuff, the takeaway from this is, is not drink more coffee. The takeaway from this is never, not never drink coffee. The takeaway from this is like, it's not, we didn't do this. If we have any credibility, we didn't do this to just be on hidden brain. We did this because this is the best 
information we have at this point. Here's how we did it if you want to replicate it. And there's that, not doubt is too strong of a word, but doubt, skepticism, I don't know what the word is. It's an understanding that the, the people implementing the process are all flawed people. And it, someone would tell you the same thing is true of the church. Like, obviously, the, the, the people uh, the people of the church are flawed, but then the, right. you know, the, the, uh, the uh, unvoyable foundation of the church is perfect. But, of course, it's implemented by people on earth, so it's imperfect. And the process of the church is over the years, we kill people and have wars and eventually get less bigoted, whatever. But <laughs> the scientific <laughs> process is very similar, filled with people who have biases, filled with bigots, filled with people. This is like you in England stuff. Yeah. This Phil, really gets your goat, doesn't yeah. it? Phil, this, the scientific world is filled with people who do terrible things, who have all yes. the same biases of the entire site, who are, end up being very wrong about things, right? But it's the process of science that lets us eventually recover from all that oh, bad stuff. God, I agree. The, the scientific process understands that it, that we're going to get it wrong. And further, it understands that we're, we're probably never going to have the real picture. We just have what we think is a reasonable model that does something useful for us for now. And we would love a better one. And we're not even saying this is what's really happening. All we're saying is if we pretend this is what's happening, we can make useful predictions and do cool stuff. But we're not <laughs> even going to tell you this is really what's there because we don't know what's really there. But, and you know, that's that's the process. And that process, again, is imperfect. And there are decades go by where... There's dogma in the scientific community about <laughs> yeah. something that ends up being totally wrong because some famous person said it. And, uh, and you uh, basically, just, you, you know. the thing is that research you're building on, again, talking about foundational things, if you discover we, we come along with something that, you know, turns out to have been, you know, like a, a shattered glass type situation, right? Something that has problems, but is the basis for other scholarship. Like, was it picked up when people replicated it? Like, People have talked about this replication crisis, especially in a lot of cognitive Especially science. things that are hard to reproduce. That's why a lot of the stuff of having to do with humans is like, look, the models we have for humans are so primitive. We're, yeah, right. we're groping in the dark. It's like, we hope this will give us something useful. We, we, we think that exercise is good for your heart and we keep checking that. And it's like, it seems like it probably is. And, you know, but it's like, you don't know everything that's going on in the human body. It's an incredibly no. complicated system. So we have this model. Part of the model is we think exercise is good for your heart in, the, in ways X, Y, and Z. And we keep retesting that model. But like you get much more detail than that. And you end up with like, how many cups of coffee am I supposed to have each day? It's like, <laughs> we can't tell. We could, Wait a minute. Well, should, should I change the color of my monitor one hour before bed? Yeah, it's just, you, it's, know? you know, so that so that's, but again, that we're that's just people trying to use the, this is the best model we have that we think we can make useful predictions out of. Yeah. Yeah, but we're all we're all cobbling together what we've got. Yeah. But but anyway, the whole point is underneath that is no foundational dogmatic belief. Because if you have a foundational dogmatic belief like Newton was right or Einstein was right, and that's that's at the bottom of anything of anything where you argue, argue down, and then eventually say, well, no, Einstein no, said it's almost be true. All you've done is made a secular church title. Yeah, that's all you've done. You know, yeah, or not even yeah, yeah. secular. It's just, you've just made a church. Like, that's not how, <laughs> that's not a, how do you tell whether things are true is not uh, eventually going down to one author, uh, authoritarian uh, scientist who says things. That's not how it works. But to, it seems that way to people who think all belief systems must be founded in dogmatic, un, unarguable things. And that leads to a lot of terrible stuff in the world. I would like to read a short paragraph from something that a lot of us have quoted a lot over the years. How do you say the name of the security expert, Bruce Schneer? I don't know. I've only, I think I've, I've never, never read I've never it. I know who you're talking about. Well, you're going to know this. Uh, this is from Schneeron. I'm so sorry, Bruce. Um, a famous thing that he said, this is from an essay. It's in notes from April 2000. Third paragraph. Security. Now, I know you've heard this, but really think about this. When John says, like, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I don't mean like browbeat people. But like what John said is so valuable. 
I need to be reminded of that. What we're talking about here is a process, right? If you don't see this as a process, you don't understand what you're doing. And he, in this paragraph, really in this sentence, he sums it up. Security is a process, not a product. Products provide some protection, but the only way to effectively do business in an insecure world is to put processes in place that recognize the inherent insecurity in the products. The trick is to reduce your risk of exposure regardless of the products or patches. Now, I love a lot about that because part of it is he's talking about harm reduction. So, so to quote my friend Chris Coldren, quoting his father, you know, the screen door is not going to keep a determined burglar out. The phrase Chris's dad would use that I use to this day. But if you latch the screen door, it helps keep the honest people honest. Like, what is your level of how far will you go in this process? So he says security is a process, not a product. Now, the thing is what I think, and I, I'm not trying to be dismissive. I think what a lot of people would like it here, they're like, another thing. I got to change my password again. I'll write it on the sticky, blah, 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 blah. Because what you want is somebody to basically say this to you. You want the equivalent of like Jeff. <laughs> from one password who's so goddamn smart. Um, you want somebody like Jeff, you go to Jeff and you say, hey, Jeff, what's a good password? He's like, well, to understand passwords, like check out this XKCD comic and check out all these different things. And a lot of it's not very intuitive. And I'll try and find it for notes, but Jeff once wrote an amazing piece about how something like Larry Moe and Curly was a better password than all, you know, he's, he's the defender against the dark arts guy in one password. But that, that is very, Jeff is not going to be able to tell you like it's giving you, you're assigning your mantra. Like, oh, here's your good password from now on. Because that, I mean, am I wrong? That really basically breaks the idea of security being a process. Like the passwords that I was using in the nineties that I thought were really good because they had a pound sign in them like two words with a pound sign. There was that bookmark, I think, was it delicious? No, there was some bookmark that would do a mix-up, wasn't an MD5, but it would create a per password, per site password based on the salt of like some basic starting point. But that's, you know, again, you do the best you can at the time, but even if you spent all of the money and read all the books and did all the things, if you continue to treat security as a product rather than a process, it doesn't mean you're screwed, but it does mean that you're going to miss why we're doing this. Same is true for meditation. Why are you meditating? I'm meditating because I'm somebody who meditates. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it to be cool. I'm not doing it to meet chicks. I'm doing it. Same reason that I wait to cross the street and do it my way. I do that because that's who I am. And when, you, when there are things in life that you can adopt as a process rather than a product, it opens up a whole new odd and provisional world where you keep re-educating yourself about that process. And even though it doesn't give you full protection, that's how you become a whole person is by learning about the process rather than the product. Yeah. That's the other kind of security. People want the security of knowing that they are, their computer is secure. Like they I'm don't good. want to have no, to think I'm about good. it. So then <laughs> in the end they're looking for, that's why there's so much dogma and even in computer security and anywhere people want dogma. They want at the bottom to be a truth that cannot be contested. Right. So if I do this, Oh, my computer is secure, right? And how long has bank card? How long has bank security been on our list of topics? The <laughs> uh -huh. theater, the theater of going to your banks or any other supposedly "quote unquote" secure website, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's how it shows how hard it is to change dogma because dogma exists in business as well. And you know, they, like especially in business, you're motivated to say, right, "Someone boss says, are we secure?" And you want to be able to say yes if you yeah. say, "Well, security so is say, a yeah, process." Abundance, you're fired. abundance of caution. <laughs> We've done this thing where everybody gets a 35 character unmemorizable password. And then it changes X, X often or whatever. And like, 
is that i mean uh, no matter how much, the, the thing is like I, i've left the corporate the world longer that'll fix but, it but when I, when I was in the corporate world like the the, the uh the evidence that uh forcing people to rotate their passwords does not make anything more secure is building fairly strongly like there's there's definitely a, a wave in the people who study this saying well there, and also there's this, knock-on effects there's yeah, knock-on effects seems like it might be a bad things. idea yeah, yeah, but yeah. but we're not sure. But we think, and it, like, and it builds and it builds, and and what happens as it's building is the people who are in charge of policy are like, well, we used to make you change it every sixty days, but now we'll make you change it every ninety days, <laughs> right? And they're like, yeah. that's the uh-huh. the wave front of the new thinking of like we, you know, because no matter how much they tested, no matter how many times they tried, you know, like just we kind of retest and retest because overthrowing <laughs> dogma is way harder. Than, I would like, you know, I would like to buy your enterprise rock. Yeah. Cause, yeah, cause it, cause at a certain point it becomes dogma that you should make users rotate their passwords, right? It stops being part of the process and starts being part of the dogma. And now you have yeah, to overthrow that. It does become with, a little bit like a cargo cult yeah, in somebody. You need always. to be super duper convincing and sure. And you have to, you also, you have to make sure the people you're convincing under, uh, agree with you that the way you tell whether things are secure is by testing them. Right. And then you get arguments about that or, you know, and so eventually, someone's like, Doug was like, I don't care what anybody says. I'm making mm-hmm. everybody rotate their passwords every 30 days. Right. And that's, yep. their, you know, that's their prerogative. Or they could run their business however they want. But that would be an example of someone you just got to wait for them to like retire before <laughs> you can get people to not have to change it. And, and I don't even know. Like, don't, like this is, I don't actually yeah. know if, if there's actually, you know, strong evidence that making people rotate their passwords is bad. I'm pretty sure there is, but I'm not like the example is don't get bogged down in the specifics here. I'm trying to but say, like, it, it must, it's so, it's such a, such a hydra. And we're like, and I, this is, I don't know if this is your influence or I don't know, reading books, but, but like there, there's just, I always feel sort of like, like overwhelmed on so many sides by people with those extremely strong opinions that they've road tested and like, you know, doctor tested, mother approved audience claps, you know, <laughs> um, kind of ideas. Um, it makes you, it puffs you up to be a bigger person, but it doesn't, you're not growing inside. None pizza with left beef. Last question? Sure. What, what questions should I have asked you? Well, that's such a cop-out. I don't like it when interviewers do that. Okay, thank you. <laughs>